There's a term that uh, one of a friend of mine sent me recently. She's kind of like a um, philosophical coach or whatever. And so one of the and I've, I've actually tried to find it online, but I'm going to misquote her. It, it. I want to use the term organizational intelligence, but it's really about you know you mean emotion, emotional emotion. Thank you very much. See, this yes. is why you're on the show. <laughs> Brilliant job. Well done. You can stay. Five gold stars. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <Were you? laughs> He's a futurist. You read my mind. <laughs> That's what you come here for on the Map Round Show is mind reading. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome back to the Map Round Show. Today, I'm joined by Gert Leonhard from the Bright Lights of Zurich in Switzerland. Um, you know, I, I've said on the show before that if you have nothing interesting to say, become a futurist. <laughs> um, and uh, I've been proved wrong on this show today because I'm <laughs> actually joined by one of the world's leading futurists. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a private joke. <laughs> But on a serious note, <laughs> oh, seriously though, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that bombshell there. <laughs> oh, so without further ado, Cat <laughs> Leonard, the author of Technology versus Humanity. Boom. Out. <laughs> what? That's classic. That's, that's a great intro. That's a great intro. Let's use that. That's a whole minute of laughing. Let's use that. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. Today I'm joined on the line from Zurich in Switzerland, Gert Leonard. Welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Dude, it is honestly my pleasure. My team have been working their butts off trying to get you onto the show. So uh, it's great to finally have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here too. So uh, Gert, um, set this one up for us. Uh, you're obviously an acclaimed author. You were an international speaker. We were talking uh, before we went live how the coronavirus is kind of ruining your your speaking parte over in uh, the East but um, why don't you set, us, set it up for us, uh, the headline? Put your story on a billboard for me. Yeah, you know, I, I used to be in the music business. So I was a musician and producer. And then in the 90s, I got on the internet doing a bunch of music startups. I wrote my first book in 2004 called The Future of Music. That became a bestseller about the music business upon which Spotify, Spotify is based as a business model. Mm. And then quickly I realized I had a sort of a, a, a knack for foresights and for seeing things a little bit earlier. I wouldn't call it predictions, <laughs> more like, like, you know, observations. And so then I started a company called the Futures Agency. There's 47 of us now worldwide uh, dealing with help, uh, helping clients to look at future scenarios. And again, it's not prediction, it's foresight, so understanding what's coming. Right now, of course, you know, there's a crisis of any, any public gathering in the world is being questioned as, as being necessary. So we're kind of moving to the virtual platform now. So I'm doing my first online conference uh, on, on March 12th, actually, for that reason. I think people are going to stay at home a lot more. Mm. Uh, and that's obviously not as good as going and meeting and having a beer and stuff. But, yeah, this is, this is where things are going. So 
Okay. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long ride. You know, I've done over two thousand engagements uh, in sixty countries, so I could really write a book about it. And you have. You've written more than one. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, not about doing the gigs, but but about doing the topics. I, I always joke I could write a book of gigs you know, about <laughs> yeah. about all the things that happened when I was speaking. Uh -huh, exactly. So let's talk about your books uh, while we're on the subject. So one of these is obviously technology versus humanity. I mean, even here down in uh, South Africa, there's, you know, the 4IR and, 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 you know, the intersection between man and machine. You literally wrote the book about this. Um, you know, we consult to a lot of C-suites in the technology sector. Um, do you have an interesting angle to this because you know uh, it's like digital transformation there's all these terms you know for artificial intelligence blockchain da, da, da. we've been talking about these technologies for some time um mm -hmm. what is the current state of play for you when we talk about man versus machine well let's put it this way you know 10 years ago most of this was just kind of a theory like we're going to have smart software we're going to have language translation self-driving cars uh, all that stuff, but now it's getting real. I mean, it's it's stuff that will actually work very soon. I mean, right now, if you use a language translation device, it's pretty good. You can use one sentence at a time. You could speak to Alexa or Google Home, or you know, it's 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 not like humans, but it's pretty close. You can imagine five years on this scale, we'll be speaking to machines as if they were, you know, our, our evening dates, you know, <laughs> if they were other humans, right? I mean, this is basically an exponential change. And you can see that software is getting smart. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it intelligent by any means, but cars can sort of drive themselves, not completely without us, but we can kick back on the highway, let them take over. So it's basically, you know, the next 10 years will bring more change to the last 100 years because technology is no longer stupid. Exactly. Uh, and, and it's still pretty stupid. Even in 10 years, it will be kind of stupid. But in 20 years, yeah, it'll be sort of like us. Yeah. And then we have to think about what do we want? You know, what do we want to be able to be superhuman, live forever? You know, what's the story? Yeah, exactly. Speaking of a funny story, there's a lady I interviewed uh, recently. Her name's Tracy Todd. She's paralyzed from the neck down. And so when she's, uh, when I interviewed her, it was also um, online. And um, she was using um, her voice to control the, the computer, the interface itself. And she was describing how when she, I mean, she's been a paraplegic now for two decades but in the beginning, it was very hard for her. She had basically no way to communicate to the machine. And, uh, but today, it's very, very, very good. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing, of course. Uh, you know, for anybody that's handicapped in any way or old or cannot see or cannot speak correctly, this is a godsend. I mean, we can finally use technology even with the most, most simple commands. Right? Mm. But on the other hand, you know, imagine that you say, okay, I had an accident, so I'm going to... I need, I need a prosthesis for my legs. And you can get one now for a million dollars where you can walk better than before. That's, that's one thing. But imagine a healthy person saying, you know, I, I want to be able to climb better. So I'm going to get some new legs, you know, that, that, that's a whole different cup of tea. And I think we're getting to that point, like genetic engineering and, you know, brain computer interfaces where we all want to be superhuman. Right? Mm -hmm. And the question is, is that a good idea? Or is that going to be some sort of arms race about, you know, who's going to be the most super and, and they have all the work and the jobs, right? Yeah. And that's the, that's the new world war that no one's really speaking about, right? Is this ace, this race rather for AI. 
Yeah, we. I think that is one race we won't survive. Uh, we we survived the nuclear race because we finally, after two bombs, we sat down and said, "Hey, you know, I think we better collaborate." <laughs> you know, we we and we came up with the nuclear non-proliferation treaties. Right, we're going to need non-proliferation treaties for artificial general intelligence and for genetic engineering because otherwise, you know, the the sky is the limit, and you know, it's happening pretty quickly in the next sort of decade. You know. Yeah, one th- I was watching a series on uh, on Netflix um, about genetic um, engineering um, and how there's this particular molecule, and feel, feel free to jump in here, but forget the acronym for it, but essentially what it allows anyone to do is manipulate their own DNA. Um, and you can buy this thing literally on the internet like you would buy a pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah, this, but this is a tool called CRISPR-Cas9. That's it. Uh, and this is a tool for, for genetic engineering. It just makes it a lot faster. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual process. It's just a tool. You know? It's like a snipping tool, essentially, right? So you can snip faster. And yeah. you can, you can, everybody can do that now. But, but basically, it's a typical example for we are actually not as far as people are always talking about. We can't really change the human genome. We can't really make the machines think. Uh, you know, all of these things are a little bit science fiction still, but we're going towards a direction to where we can say this may be possible in 20 years. Uh, and, you know, technology like language translation already changes our, our communication completely. I mean, in 2030, we're going to have roughly 9 billion people on the internet, pretty much everybody in the world. Mm. Uh, that's only 10 years from now. And right now it's only 3.5 billion. Right? So you can imagine the changes that we're going to see also in terms of technological challenge and safety and security and hacking. And, you know, we're going to have to really collaborate. And ethics. That's a big one that comes up on the show quite a lot in that, uh, you know, technology, as you pointed out, is moving like we've gone from science fiction to today where it's actually not so much science fiction and actually something that you can play with at home. I mean, the fact that you can edit, you can create like luminous green frogs in your own garage or in your own home is frightening. Uh, the power that you have as the ordinary man in the, in the street. And then to your point around AI, it's like, well, if you have this incredible access to incredibly powerful exponential technology, what is the ethical decision and rules and guidelines around gene editing or AI or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Where do we start to address this ethics discussion? Yeah, I mean, many famous scientists have commented along the lines of saying, you know, we are at the point already where technology is way beyond our ethical means and our ethical understanding and our collaboration as humans. And that's, that's exponentially true now. So basically the, the, the issue of saying, well, how much technology would be too much technology, right? Or can it be used for bad things and how do we prevent it? I mean, I always say technology is morally neutral. Mm. Until we use it, you know, William Gibson, science fiction author, uh, coined that phrase. You know, which which is totally true. I mean, you can use a hammer to go out in the street and kill people if you desire, right? Or you can build a house, and you can do the same with AI. So what we need to do is not prohibit technology, which technology is basically good, right? We have to put it into a right framework, and we need rules and social contracts and regulation and supervision. It's like social media. You know, social media can be amazing. I use it a lot. I'm quite happy with using Twitter and LinkedIn. I gave up on Facebook a while ago. 
but it can also be used as a very, very bad tool for manipulation and bias mm. and thought control, you could say. Now, this is uh, Facebook's territory, of course. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Facebook makes $150 million a day doing exactly this, right? Manipulating yeah. the two and a half billion users and selling their data. So, so it's, it's the story of technology is that we always need to make sure that we have control, that we have a good goal in mind, that we have honest players. And right now, technology is, has become so powerful that, you know, it's completely out of control. It's basically, there's, there's no supervision. There's, you know, even the oil and gas companies are regulated and the banks. Right? Mm. Well, but the, none, none of the other guys are. So, Well, this is it, right? I mean, we, I spend a lot of time covering the blockchain and crypto space. Um, and it's fascinating to me to see how many disruptions, quote unquote, and I use that word deliberately, um, are, are on the cards, like legitimate disruptions that actually have intrinsic value in the underlying business model. Um, and uh, just to pick up on the Facebook thing, the problem I think in this technology space is that there's so much misinformation around it. It's like, well, you know, you know, the Boston Dynamics robots that you see on social media and people see that and they go, holy shit, you know, they're yeah. going to come take yeah. our jobs and our lives and my kids are going to be raised by, by robots. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I got two young kids as well. So it's like, you know, as a parent, and that's why I asked you in the beginning, like, are you a parent? Obviously, your kids are much older than mine, but it's like, as a parent, how do you know how to manage this change in the lives of young ones? And that involves ethics. It involves understanding trust uh, in terms of the information sources that you that you have. The blockchain crypto space is just wristled with misinformation. It's frightening. Um, and so my question to you very simply is this. How do we manage this space as individuals first? especially around misinformation and things like that. And secondly, how do we know who to trust? Yeah, those are good questions. I mean, clearly, I think when we talk about ethics, I talk about primarily humanity uh, because there we can probably agree on, on a lot of principles. Like, you know, we, we shouldn't just take what makes us human and then automate it to make, make it cheaper, like, you know, giving birth outside the womb. Or things like that, you know, which in principle, yeah, maybe possible, but is it a good idea? Or having a, a robot therapist, you know, things like that, where we're like, come on, you know, you must be joking. You well, know, it's then, the, the power of the crowd, you know. Right. Or a robot <laughs> judge, you know, a, a judge that, that talks about, you know, that basically administers probation, like an automate, automated probation software, you know, things like that. I call that jerk tech, you know, which is basically <laughs> just a perversion of technology. Yeah? So we have to be careful as to what we use and what we don't use it for. Yeah. And we have to get onto the common page. For example, I think 98% of the world would agree, 99%, that we should not have autonomous weapons killing anybody that they have identified as a potential good target, right? Mm -hmm. So the four-year-old girl gets blown up because the AI says, well, she probably has a father is, uh, is, is XYZ, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think those things are things that we have to keep human. And ultimately, I think the, the discussion has to be about preserving our humanity. I always say for, you know, we need sort of an EPA for, the, for humanity, like a protection agency that says, okay, this is human and it should stay human, you know? Yep. Dating, reproduction, decision-making, probation, uh, politics, you know, voting. You know, we shouldn't have an AI voting for us because it would be more efficient. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's – and the challenge will clearly be is to get on the same page. Um, the challenge is also that currently the technology companies are telling the story about the future. 
uh, which is sometimes an interesting story, but by and large, it's all about selling stuff, right? Yep. And, and, and that's not what everything is all about, right? So we're, we're coming down to a decision making point where we have to say, okay, this far is far enough. And now you're going to have to give back. Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing that, that I see, um, and, and love to get your view on this one is that, um, you know, the, the technology has advanced so much and we've got so much access. Um, but, despite being able to connect to any, like, hello, we're talking to each other, you know, just a basic example of that. But then you bring social media into the place and, and literally the entire world is now connected to your earlier point. You had three and a half billion people. Now soon the entire world is going to be connected. And despite all this new connection, we've actually lost our humanity. What do you say to that? I would say there's many good things about it. Like we can do this, right? And we can, we can call each other for free. Uh, we can get great music on Spotify or movies on Netflix or whatever, right? We can do all these nice things, but those are hedonistic, you know? They are basically like, I enjoy talking to you, but it, it's not like an intrinsic happiness factor or something, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. What makes us happy is human connections, you know, relationships, engagements, experiences. And they, they, they can be virtual to some degree, but they're actually between people. Right? And we cannot substitute them. So what we have done is because we're, you know, we're by nature a little bit lazy. So, you know, if this is possible, then we say, oh, you know, never mind the dating difficult. I'll just swipe left and right and, you know, I get to the result, right? Um, and that's not always a good idea. So you, to I swipe it, left it, or swipe right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not always a bad idea either. But, but, you, but, but you know, we, we do have to, uh, we have to preserve those things that really are important to us and preserve the process and also not treat humans like machines. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, you know, like, you know, if you take an interview to get a new job and they put you in front of an augmented reality game, you have to wear a mask to go through augmented reality to sort of pretend that you work for them. Mm. You know, I, I would never work for a company like that. I think that's dehumanizing. It is. But for me, it's like, it's the value of the connections, you know, like I, I'm very ambivalent about Facebook at all. I mean, this Cambridge Analytica story that you touched on earlier, um, we've covered that on the show. It's also on Netflix. Um, and, uh, you know, when you, when you see how people can now manipulate the system, um, that the, the, it, it immediately and acutely diminishes the value of the connections that the platform originally promised us. It was like, you know, imagine we could connect 9 billion people on a single platform like Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Like the dream was there. And then somehow along the way, human, uh, human values or the, the kind of the, the yang of the yin got involved, the black, and just started to manipulate things and started to see how they could influence elections and, and influence public opinion and the mindsets of entire countries. Um, well, I, I, th I think it's all about too much power and too much money, you know? You I mean, go. how can you resist when you, when you, when you run a, a company that gets so much data, right? Then somebody comes to you and says, guess what? Here's a hundred million. If you let me poke around with your data and you say, well, it's in the user agreement. I can do this. So here, take the money, right? Mm. It's just like, like, uh, you know, some car companies said, okay, diesel engines are fine. They look a lot better, better than they are when we take out this little device, right? And, and we make it look even better. We sell more. It's the same sort of temptation. And, and, and this is human and it's normal. And it's part of business, but we need to supervise that, right? We need to have credibility, uh, controlled. Uh, we need to have a sort of, I call it a digital ethics council. You know, somebody who says, this is probably not a good idea, even though it can be done. It probably shouldn't. And we, we were going in, uh, in exponential steps now, right? 4, 8, 16, 32. In 10 years, that's 256. Right? That's like 200x of today. 
And we just can't afford to sit back and say, well, you know, the free market will handle this because it doesn't. The free market likes money, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, I suppose we, we almost need to throw away the book around regulation there because, you know, by the time you've defined a, fra- a regulatory framework and policies, they're almost outdated to, to, at the time of publication. Um, well, I always say that, you know, politi- politicians should have a driver's license for the future. They should pass a future test. <laughs> and of course, this will this will be quite interesting in South Africa, especially, right? Please no, um, yeah. <laughs> we definitely don't. Want well, let's that. not talk about that. But uh, yeah. but uh, you know, I think politicians need to be aware of what's happening, and actually make it a topic in their agenda and their policy making. You know, is is to uh, to be able to balance the good and the evil, because otherwise, we're always going to go where the money and the new jobs and the growth is, right? Mm. And that is not working. This is how we get to the climate disaster. Yeah. Right. So, so exactly. So, I mean, it's interesting that you touched on South Africa. So, I mean, obviously, uh, we've got some very massive structural and uh, parastatal issues here. Um, and we don't need to labor the point. But, um, you know, if you think about uh, unemployment being, what is the unemployment now? It's like 65% or something crazy like that here in South Africa. Uh, Mav will get the actual number for me. Um, but, um, but anyway, um, you know, when you think about RPA, robotic process automation, something like that, you know, these technologies have the potential to literally eliminate all opportunity, especially in the corporate space or in established private enterprise where when you have shareholders, your in, your primary motivation is profit, not sustainability. So this raises some very important ethical questions. I'm sure you would, you would agree. Um, so, so how does one tackle this at a at a national level? So if you take emerging market like South Africa, huge unemployment, and the promise of technology being either the great opportunity or the great leveler. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can't literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, let's put it this way. I think that uh, technology will uh, be able to do all the routine work in the future. So routine work, for example, like, like, like coding a website or doing sales support or being in a call center or even driving a car to some degree. But there's very few jobs that are 100% routine. So many jobs are like 50%, like my own job, maybe 40, 50% routine researching. And, you know, so if I get rid of the 40%, I still have a job. I just do something different, right? And like, if you look what happened in agriculture, in many countries in Europe, for example, 80% of people used to work in agriculture on the fields. And now it's 1.2%. Right? But mm. not everybody is unemployed. We just went through the, through the uh, shift of saying, well, if we have a tractor, then somebody has to fix the tractor, right? And now we have a robot. Somebody has to make the robot. 
we have to always upskill and relearn and unlearn and do new things. And the government has to take care of that process of constant learning, constant teaching, and entrepreneurship, right? Inventing stuff. I mean, it's quite clear that most of the future jobs have not even been invented yet, right? I mean, mm. just think back 10 years ago, 21 million social media jobs that we have today didn't exist. They created out of nothing. Can can we prevent the rise of the robots? Is that a, is it an inevitability? Yeah, I think that that image is a little bit flawed. It's more like Black Mirror type scenario or so. It's uh, I would say basically machines will do all the routines that can be done by machines, and there will be quite a few. Uh, but driving is a great example. It'll be a long time before a robot can drive like me, but it will be a very short time for a robot to be able to drive me from a fixed location on a fixed lane to the airport, you know, mm. in most cities, in, a, in like an automated bubble, you know. Yeah. Uh, but to drive like like a real human, that that's that's far away. So it's not, there's a lot of hype about this. And I think, uh, rightly so, automation is a huge challenge, right? But clearly, I think this appeals to government to say, we need new skills, mm. right? And the new skills are the human skills, right? That is imagination, intuition, creativity, design, you know, inventing stuff. And that's what we have to teach our kids because if they're inventive, they'll always find a way forward. Machines are not inventive. Mm. You know, they're they're based on logic. Right? Logic is not invention. Yeah. Let's talk about kids for a second. What's your advice to me? Give me advice. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Inter- <laughs> I mean, can just imagine now, right? Like when, <laughs> when they're, you know, 13 years from now, just imagine, like they're not going to need a bank account. They're going to do everything on blockchain, you know, uh, as a parent and I've, you know, lots of parents listen to the show. What's your words of wisdom for them? Like in the context of raising kids in this exponential time? Yeah, I think it's most of the future scenarios as far as education goes is about character building, you know, having, uh, being a good and strong human, you know, those are the skills that machines will never, uh, at least not in the next 50 years, uh, will comprehend. For example, a human has an innate understanding of complexity of things, right? We look at context, we look at objective, we make moral judgments all the time, right? It's, and, and there's a saying from Moravich, famous scientist, that says, whatever is easy for a computer is hard for a human and vice versa. Right? Mm. So why should we compete with the computer when it's about intellectual, logical process? Right? Yeah. We could do that until now, but that game is over. Mm-hmm. So don't compete with the computer. Just make your human skills better. That's invention, intuition, storytelling, mystery, uh, making up stuff, uh, negotiate, negotiating, all the stuff that I call those the Andrew rhythms in my book, right? Mm. There's actually a small site I run called androrhythms.com. It's the opposite of algorithms uh, where you can see them. But basically, this is what we need, and this is what I think we have to teach our kids. How to get along, how to invent, right? how to improvise, how to learn how to learn. Right? Uh, and the bad thing is that most schools are teaching our kids to download information, like like a hard drive, you know? Yeah. And uh, by the time you're done, then it's useless. How would how would I explain artificial intelligence to my five year old? <laughs> well, let's let's put it this way. I think the word is quite useless, right? And so I wouldn't explain that to uh, kids. Uh, what I always say it's uh, smart computers, you know? smart computers, smart machines. So, for example, if you have uh, a robot that can observe 500 million social media feeds 
in real time and they can find patterns, which we're doing online now all the time, right? Like face recognition. That robot does not, not know what a face is. It certainly doesn't know what it feels like to be angry. Uh, it just knows that your face looks angry based on the data, right? So that the robot knows 98% of what we know it doesn't even touch on, right? So the, these machines are capable of really advanced logic. They can memorize Wikipedia. They can look at uh, a trillion data points, right? but they can't do what we're doing. So to me, that's a giant hammer, like a, a big tool, you know, yep. that we need to use. So it's not intelligent in the sense of our intelligence. It may eventually get there, which is a scary thought. But right now, it's I call it rather IA, you know, intelligent assistance yeah. than AI. Yeah. So it's like Google Maps, right? Take a five-year-old, give him Google Maps and say, you know, try to find how to get there from here. It knows how to use Google Maps, right? Uh-huh. So um, I don't know. I'm sure you came across this because uh, you cover the space um, way more in depth than I do, hence why you're here. But there was this article. I've actually got it up here. It's on The Verge, and the title uh, goes like this. Twitter taught Microsoft's AI chatbot to be a racist asshole in less than a day. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, if you look at uh, Stuart Russell, who is the grandfather of AI, he's a professor at UC Berkeley. He has a new book out huh? that's called Human Compatible. And he talks about exactly this, right? The robot and the AI has no objective knowing what, what it really has, what, what is the goal, right? It has no real understanding of the context. It just knows the mission. Right? Mm. So if, if the mission is to, to do X, Y, Z, it will just follow that mission, get you to the airport, no matter what. Right? Uh, but you know that you know your wife has a crisis, so you got to turn back, and the, the robot knows nothing about this. It has no context. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what machines are very good at. Yeah. And this is why we should use them, but we should not use them for things that are humanly complex. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the thing that you touched on earlier on is around like creativity, imagination and things like that. And also want to pick up on the thing around job roles that don't exist yet. So we keep hearing, I, I mean, I keep hearing that sort of thing, like 64% of job titles, you know, in five years time haven't been invented yet. Like, can you give some practical examples around that? So, you know, if you were thinking about kids again and how would you prepare them for that world, you know, what, what kind of, you know, practical job title sort of thing do you feel you know yeah. you haven't heard about before but you know could potentially be in play you know 10 years from now well if you go back to the music business where i'm where i started with all this stuff you could see that the original jobs were to work for a record label work in a record store work in a radio station and so on but now the real jobs in music they're all based on the streaming of music you know they're, they're based on the fact that music is now on the cloud you know, Spotify, Deezer, iTunes, and so on. So music is coming through the cloud, and now there's new jobs, for example, data mining, Spotify. Uh, and this is a, a boon for, for small record labels and for artists, because you can say, well, you know, in Cape Town, there were about 240,000 people who listened to this song from this band this many times per day, and therefore our next tour is going to go to Cape Town first. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's people who do that for a living now. And there's people who do marketing of online streaming now that didn't exist only two years ago. Right? Mm. So data mining, data process, analytics, all that stuff. I think there's really two jobs, two things you know, that will make our future safe as far as jobs are concerned. One is understanding technology. That doesn't mean programming. It means just getting it, right? Yeah. Knowing how to do stuff, you know, simple stuff like search, information, video, that sort of stuff. And the second one is human skills. So making up stuff, telling a good story, seeing the context, inventing things, right? 
Yeah. And if you can do the both of them, that's probably a good path. There's a term that uh, one of a friend of mine sent me recently. She's kind of like a um, philosophical coach or whatever. And so one of the and I I've actually tried to find it online, but I'm going to misquote her. It, it. I want to use the term organizational intelligence, but it's really about you, you know mean emotional emotional emotion, Thank you very much. See, this yes. is why you're on the show. Brilliant job. Well done. You can stay. Five gold stars. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Were you? <laughs> He's a futurist. He read my mind. <laughs> That's what you come here for on the Map Round show is mind reading. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that this is, you know, we used to place heavy emphasis on intellectual power. So the smarter, the faster you are, the better. But Einstein already said this, you know, a long time ago, he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And of course, he was a genius. So it would be easy for mm. him to say he was actually both uh, imaginative and a genius, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think this really means for us as much information as is quickly available on the web now. I mean, in five years, I can sit down to my wristwatch and I can say, show me the future of Cape Town as compared to Hamburg, Germany in, in GDP and whatever. And, and I will get a nice chart on the wall. You know, instantly, mm-hmm. right? Well, you can already do that. It's just complicated. But, but you know, to recognize larger things and facts, that takes imagination, which machines don't have. Because how can you have imagination when you, when you can't read stuff that's not data? Right? Don't you think they're going to be able to fix that, though? I mean, if you think about the idea of like a singularity where, you know, it's, it's as good as and better intellectually, emotionally, we're already seeing like the breadcrumbs to that probable eventuality do you think that you know a machine it is it is possible yes it's it's pretty far away i think we still don't know in conclusion how the human brain works we have many ideas about it but we we don't know how we think or why you have a certain talent or you know we we know that every neuron has seventy thousand other neurons it's connecting to and then there's 250 billion of them you know we we haven't we haven't mapped this thing, uh, and, and that's going to take some time. And then the question is really ultimately not if we can do it, but do we want to do it? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is really about do we really want that? Do we really want to create a machine that's like a real human? You know, consciousness, human agency. I think that would be extremely dangerous uh, and, and probably not a good product to create, uh, even though it would make uh, trillions of dollars. Right? So Elon Musk would certainly try that one. I was just going to ask you about that with that Neuralink story, um, you know, a brain interface essentially. So they would literally put chips in your brain. Yeah, I think it's a good story. It's uh, it's inspiring. It's far from reality. Just like IBM Watson replacing the doctor in the hospital is far from reality. It's a good story. And I would certainly like to have an intelligence like this that could bring down the prices of medical care, you know, maybe. But this is not reality today because we need different kinds of judgment for that, you know. And and there is many, many things that are that we humans do instantly, like, you know, recognizing each other, 0.4 seconds for an average human to recognize another human as a threat, as a potential partner, as interesting, as boring, 0. Point, that's without saying a single word. A computer takes about 40 years for that, right? To figure, to figure all that out in, that we do in 0.4 seconds. But it would know if your, bil- if your image has been seen on social media before mm. because it has access to half a billion pictures. That's stuff we, that we wouldn't know, right? Because I can't remember that many pictures. You know? yeah. So I think that's ultimately, yes, there is a chance that we can build those machines, but it's not something that's really built worthy, in my view. 
Okay, um, so Peter Diamandis does a lot of um, of uh, speaking about mining asteroids and the privatization of space and things like this. Um, what do you think, I mean, are we, like, again, another reason why SpaceX and Elon Musk kind of exist, right, is to basically premise the idea that, you know, um, there's an ex- existential event that could happen on Earth and then what? We're kind of screwed. Um, and so the option, the only other option really is to be a multi-planetary species. Um so, one, do you think we're living in a simulation? <laughs> no, I don't think we're living in a simulation. But uh, if we were, then the question is, why would we care? Um, I mean, it's a, this is a large debate that goes into many other topics. I, I personally think that we're, we're getting, technology-wise, we're getting ready to go to other planets. Uh, we'll probably send the AI first, well, because they can be... You know, burn in the heat, that's okay. Well, they won't be very uh, nice to aliens. Do we really want to make that first impression, though? <laughs> yeah, that's another, another real on. point. But, but, you know, we're not that far <laughs> away from having technology like this. But I would rather put the resources into solving real issues, you know, climate change, water, food, desalination, you know, all those things here on Earth that we can still solve in the next 20 years. And I think we will solve them. Technology is, has no limits there. This is all comes down to governance right, mm-hmm. and wisdom. Well, yeah, wisdom. Yes, we all ha- we all ha- we don't all have it the same. <laughs> no, we'll talk about that in South Africa. But but you know, the, I think the you know the <laughs> yeah right wisdom uh, that seems like an, that seems like an oxymoron, right? The what is government. that? Haven't seen right? that for quite some time. <laughs> but there, but but I think there's hope. You know, there there is. Uh, if we're looking at what's happening today, we're we're getting all the tools at our disposal now, right? Mm. I mean, we can do amazing things now. Uh, and we're, you know, we're we're clearly heading towards a world government. Uh, that's not that far away. We have the United Nations now. Uh, sooner or later, we'll have the United States of Europe. I'm pretty sure on that. Ten years, right? and sooner or later, we'll have a world government that deals with things like climate change and energy and water and food, because that's that's the only way that we can really get anywhere. Yeah, that's when you know you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think you know that. Uh, if, if, if you're seeing sort of the beginning of this, like, you know, all the countries in the world are complaining about Brazil burning down the Amazon, you know, that uh. wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. The Am- the Brazil would have said, you know what, that's our business, go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now it's like, yeah, but you're hurting all of us by doing this. Yep. So now this is becoming a global issue. Speaking of other global issues, um, the thing that's come up on the show as well quite, quite often is the idea of UBI or universal basic income. Do you think that that is a, is a reality? Can you walk us through how you feel? One, if it is a reality, practically, how do you feel some broad brushstrokes, you know, one could apply to kind of bring that concept to life and in the process alleviate a large degree of poverty? Yeah, I mean, there's many, many ways to play this one. For example, there's also negative income tax, right? Which means that if, you, if, if more surpluses in the system, you get a payment, you know, same idea. There's also universal basic income based on things you get rather than money. So free housing, free food kind of idea, right? And basically it becomes possible because technology is making things abundant, right? Mm. Imagine if we have water, food, and energy that has been solved by technology. What would keep us from saying that every citizen gets it, right? Every citizen has free energy, which is possible with renewable energy, Every citizen gets access to clean water. Hey, that's a story for South Africa, right? Uh, water. Uh, and, you know, imagine if that's possible in terms of technology, then, then all we have to figure out is how do we fund it, right? And in many countries like Switzerland, where I live, the money is there. 
Right? Well, you guys imagine, definitely have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and the, the money clean is here. Water. <laughs> you and, got and it in all. In many ways, you, you could also say the money is in many ways already there, but it's unevenly distributed. Right? Mm. What we need to do, for example, technology has made six cities in America extremely rich, while everybody else has gotten poorer. <laughs> so, so you see this productivity increase in many places has led to increase of, of money with the billionaires, but it has led to people struggling even harder to stay where they are, like an average person cannot live in San Francisco anymore. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So it's a question of inequality that has to be addressed, and I think the UBI is one of the possible solutions for inequality. Right? Yep. But I would grant you this is the end of capitalism. You know, if we're going to they're going to pay people to just exist. I was going to say, it's like, right, why don't you just technology-enabled yeah. socialism? It's a new one. Well, I think the the components of socialism, there are some good components to that. It's The question is, ultimately, I call this sustainable capitalism, right? Al Gore. I think that's where we're heading towards, and the paradigm being people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. Mm. It is becoming possible, if we make those decisions, to realize them. But the questions are, of course ultimately political questions. Do we vote for people that say those things and that do those things? Right? Mm. Yeah, so that's a change process. I think will take at least 20 years for that to happen. Are you going to vote for Bernie Sanders? Yeah, well, I live in Switzerland, you know, but... But come um, on, are you going to vote? <laughs> you got a digital passport, bro. Got global government. He's going to be like in or out. Him or Trump, who are you voting for? Well, I, I mean, I, I, you know, anybody who has an option of voting for Trump is like, I don't know, I have to go look, find them on the rock. But, so all Americans, but, um, basically. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but basically, Trump and the future are still pretty much incompatible, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's many good things about Bernie, also about Elizabeth Warden, Warren, Warren, right? Yeah. Who, who says many good things. And, and Andrew Yang, you know, the, the, who talks about the UBI. I think a combination of the progressive candidates in America I can see that being pretty exciting. I, you know, America is so dysfunctional that I have no idea what's going to happen next. It's, uh, it's socially and morally bankrupt. So, it's, yeah, so, so I shouldn't, say. I shouldn't move there. Then is that? Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I in terms of the future, I'm staking my hopes on Europe. Yeah, Europe is slow. It's complicated, uh, but we are basically humanists, right? South Africa is also in that agenda of being humanist, humanistic country. In general, right? <laughs> uh, uh, as compared to, for example, China or, or so, right? Yeah. Um, but I, that's why I think this is ultimately going to be uh, something that we can really count on coming from Europe as maintaining human sanity and some sort of humanity and the overall impulse to become technology. Mm. So, um, Gert, I know we've got to wrap up and you've got to run on, um, but um, looking into your future, um, What's next for you? <laughs> yes, well, uh, in many of my talks, I always say the future is better than we think. Yeah? It's, uh, for me, it's important that we remain optimistic, like, you know, Christina Figueroa's new book about climate change talks about this. You know, there's plenty of reasons to be depressed if, if you're so inclined. Uh, but there's also many, many good things that are currently becoming possible. So my job is to show that to people and to uh, influence them to make the right decisions. Uh, and to put the emphasis in the right place. And I'm going to make a lot more films about this. You know, my latest film is uh, How the Future Works, TV. It's about that. Uh, I'm looking to do a TV show. I'm working on that, on these topics to create a positive feeling about the future. 
And generally, I think this is really important that we collaborate to create that future that we prefer. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Do you go, oh, let me try and figure out this world of exponential technology or is there a more kind of humanistic motivation for you? Well, the coffee machine is calling me, you know. So it's, it's automatically <laughs> but does it cook ma- Does it make its own coffee good? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I'm excited about the possibilities that we have. I think it's much better than not having the tools. We have too many tools and powerful tools. Now we just have to use them right, you know. Mm-hmm. I think, for example, we're going to see a carbon tax in so many ways that will fund hundreds of millions of new jobs. Uh, all these things that I, I think are possible if we just find it the, to be the right priority. That's what excites me. And I think that, uh, you know, the situation isn't hopeless. And contrary to what Hollywood says, you know, we always die at the end of all these movies. Um, you know, there are other options. And that's what gets me excited. And the robots will inherit the earth. You know, I think the robots will be our servants. And they'll make good servants. We'll just have to... Uh, limit their activity to things that robots should be doing. So good. What did you ever watch the movie The Matrix? Of course. Okay. So I'm sorry, but we are definitely living in the Matrix. I mean, like if you think about it, right? It's like man versus machine simulations, AI. It's like it's all there, and it was done by the Wachowski brothers right at the beginning of time. So it's still the well, best movie ever. The much better version of that is Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, you know, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that did show a lot about what we can already do today, you know, holograms mm-hmm. and, and, and all that stuff. And it's, but generally speaking, when you think about the future, science fiction movies made in Hollywood are not a good uh, place to start because they use uh, basically the method of fear, you know, so the more fear, the more it sells. And that's generally not a good way to look at the future. So I think we need to dial down on the fear. Uh, and, you know, move forward, but be cautiously optimistic. Well, you know what they say, Gert, uh, sex sells. So if you think about the future, just make it sexy. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, like my, like, like my background picture, right? Yeah, I know. Do you have, how do you do that? We haven't even touched about virtual reality, but if, uh, for you guys listening on the podcast, pop over to my YouTube channel, uh, subscribe, and then have a look at uh, Gert's background. What are you running I, I there? Think it, I think it's my AI doing it. Is that what you're doing? Jeez. <laughs> it's incredible. Incredible. Auto-generating for my thoughts. I'm definitely doing that for my US <laughs> interviews from now on. <laughs> Good. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, All right. Yeah, and I'd love to get you back on at some time when, uh, when we can really dive deep into some of these subjects. Right. And you know, don't forget to check out my book just at the end of this. Right? Yes. Tech, yeah. tech versus human.com, tech vs human.com. And it's now available in 14 languages, including English. Okay. Amazing. Is it available in robot? No, it's not available in Zulu or or any of those languages quite yet. (laughs) Do you know in Africa we've got over two thousand languages? I know, I know. So I'm I'm uh, I'm dying to translate into more languages, but right now it's pretty much mainstream stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a problem for AI. You should make friends. (laughs) Yes, I'll try. (laughs) Thanks, Gertz. All the best, mate. Okay. See you down the road. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Map Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, 
your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.